to the Thought Lounge podcast. On this episode, we have an extended excerpt from a Thought Lounge session with Dean Nelson on storytelling. Enjoy! My topic, which is on storytelling and uh, why it matters. And um, I mean, your point, Dylan, about Vonnegut, I mean, that that sort of makes the point before I even make a point that uh, that it is through story that people are we hope are moved in some way you know maybe moved to action or maybe moved in in some other way maybe to be more merciful but um, the reason I think uh, storytelling is so significant and I come at this from a perspective of uh, both as a um, as a journalist, and I've written a bunch of books, and um, and, it, and I interview writers uh, for a big series we do every year called the Writers Symposium by the Sea, and then um, I, you know, I, and I teach this stuff. So it just strikes me that we're hardwired as human beings for narrative. You know, the the Genesis account. That's just it's just a beautiful narrative. If you think it's specifically true you know in by true i mean that it authentically happened in this way six 24-hour days well then the, then it gets a little that's a different proposition you know a, a slaughterhouse five for instance or uh breakfast of champions or any of vonnegut stuff you know if none of that is literally true but but you but it rings there, there's a, a a truthful ring to it and uh, your point, um, uh, when you were bringing up cell phones, um, you started with a story. You know, you started with, hey, this friend told me about this, you know, her kid, you know, screamed a lot when they took her phone away. Well, that, it just seems like that's how we understand the world. It's how we understand each other. It's how we understand our place in the world. So I just think we're hardwired in many ways for, uh, for narrative. Technology is, uh, doesn't change that, it just changes the way we present it. So, um, as, uh, as I'm sure, Mike, you have, have probably experienced, the kids that you're responsible for, the, the kids I'm re- that I, I raised in my home, they just loved it when you just sat down and told them a story. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we still do. That's why we go to movies. That's why, that's why we love... Silicon Valley. That's why you know that that's that's why we I'm the show, not the the geographical region. <laughs> um, but we just love to be told a story, whether it's to be entertained or whether it's a Stephen King story. We, we want to be scared. I mean, uh, we want to be uh, we want to be moved in some way. Uh, so, so this is uh, just kind of a fundamental human principle it seems like to me so let me give you an example of of how this uh how this can work and it's a story of course so when a kid says tell me a story you know i just think oh yeah i got a million of them so uh i was teaching a creative writing class just a year or two ago and i had one student in particular who so did not want to be there i mean and for her it was an elective she just needed the units she thought this would be an easy a uh but i'm i'm trying to get the craft of storytelling, you know, across to everybody. And she just wasn't doing it. She wasn't buying it. She was, uh, everything about her was resistance. And, uh, and she wasn't even doing the daily work, the, uh, 
And so I just chatted with her after class one day and just said, what's, what's your deal here? What's going on? Why, why do you seem like you'd rather be anywhere else than right here? And she goes, well, I'm just not good at this. I'm not good at, at, at writing. Well, that's not the point. You know, what, what else is going on here? So she says, uh, can, can we talk in your office? So we did. And, um, and I do have to admit that the stories she was writing for my creative writing class, they really were terrible. They, 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 uh, you know, teachers aren't supposed to say that, but, but these really were. But, uh, but the reason, I think, is that she was probably just cranking them out. She was just, you know, pulling them out some body cavity an hour before, uh, an hour before class started. And um, no effort, you know, no application of what we talk about. None of the things, the principles that we read when we read Vonnegut or whomever. And she just wasn't doing any of that. And so her, her stories were actually terrible. And um, so I asked her about it. She said, I'm just not very good. I said, okay, um, why, uh, why are you even here and, uh, and, and taking this class? And she got, it just got totally quiet. And I wasn't even looking at her. I was looking out the window. And, um, and I look at her, and her face is turning red, and then she just bursts into tears. Well, that's what you want. You want a female student crying in your office. And um, so I said, well, what's this about? And she just said, I just so don't want to be here. Okay, okay, where, where, what do you mean by here? At this university. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in your class. I don't want to be at this school. I don't want to be in San Diego. Where do you want to be? I want to be back home with my boyfriend. Okay, where is home? All right, it's, it's Northern California. And um, so she was here because her parents, you know, were demanding that she uh, finish her degree. And um, she, everything about her was resisting that. So here was my suggestion. I said, what if you tell a story? I said, I'll give you the, uh, the option of going fiction. But what if you tell a story about a girl who is in a place that she doesn't want to be, doing what she doesn't want to do, and, um, and she's really angry at her parents? What if, what if you tell a story about this and, um, and let's see where that story goes. Let's see where that character goes. And, yeah, I mean, you already know the outcome of this. Suddenly her writing got good, <laughs> right? Because now, she's, now she cares about what she's writing about. And, and she can put it in a story form. But she's, but she's putting it in a, in a story form what she's thinking and feeling, and, um, which before was just coming out as anger, Right? So this is, my, this is part of my point, is I think we, we are just hardwired to hear stories uh, and to tell stories. Um, it's how we learn patterns and forms. It's how we learn our history. Um, so in these, this writer series where I uh, interview writers, I uh, interviewed Ray Bradbury, the great science fiction writer, and um, we were talking about why he wrote Fahrenheit 451. And he said, I wrote that story to prevent the future. I thought that's a great reason to, to, to write a story. You know, that ideas became illegal, books became illegal, and, and so you, you just have to burn them. You know, the only, the only valid ideas were those from the government. And, um, and so everybody else was at risk. So he writes a novel. Uh, about that, and it just puts it in such a believable story form that you understand this is this actually is plausible. This this could happen. Or another um, uh, 
writer I interviewed, uh, I don't know if when you were in middle school, uh, if any of you ever read a book called Bridge to Terabithia. You read mm-hmm. that? Watched the play. Yeah, okay. So the reason Catherine Patterson wrote that book is that her son, when he was 10, had befriended a girl and they were, they were both kind of artistic and, you know, uh, uh, not necessarily popular and, and, and all that. And, um, and the girl, uh, and, and Catherine Patterson and her husband were, were, had been missionaries in China, so they come out of this, this kind of Christian missionary uh, context. And, um, and so they're back in the States, and this, so her son David and uh, this girl become friends. And the girl uh, goes on vacation with her family, and she's standing on a rock uh, on the Jersey Shore, and she gets hit by lightning. The girl does. Oh, my God. She's just killed. <laughs> just freaking killed. And so, uh, so he's, you know, he's just at a, a 10-year-old is trying to process all this. And he tells his mother, he tells Catherine, one night when she's uh, talking to him before he goes to sleep, he said, I know why God killed, and I can't remember what the girl's name was. And she's just thinking, God killed this girl? And, and he says, I know why God killed her, uh, because I've been bad. And she just thought... I I gotta I gotta get ahead of this. <laughs> I gotta get ahead of this before it it just loses uh, uh, all control. So she did what she knows how to do best. She just wrote down. She just started to tell a story about a, a little boy and a little girl who had become friends, and the little girl dies, and and what happens then afterwards? She wrote it for her son as a way to help him understand, and then it's become a uh, you know this marvelous marvelous. A successful story in I forget how many languages over the years, because again, like Bradbury, she's saying I'm I'm wanting to I'm wanting to present. This is a way to rehearse. Stories are, are a way to rehearse what could happen, and um, and what will happen, and 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 your agency in uh, in all of this. So I just think this is this is part of the. the um, how we understand the world and how we understand pain and suffering. I also think that fundamentally we are um, creative uh, beings and storytelling is one of the ways we create. We create electronics, we create phones, we all that, but we also, all of us have the capacity uh, to create through, um, through story. Uh, and maybe my final example of this, and then we, maybe we can talk about this a little, is the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in, uh, in South Africa. So everybody, everybody, when apartheid ended in South Africa, everybody um, predicted a bloodbath. The blacks were finally going to be in control of the minority whites, and it was going to get bloody. And it didn't get bloody. And one of the reasons for it was, uh, uh, or at least not as bloody as everyone was predicting, was that people like Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu figured out a way to get the people who had offended each other the most in a room with each other, and they had to be face-to-face with one another and tell each other their story. Here, so, uh, so let's say I'm a victim. Let's say my, my family had all been killed by, by, these, uh, by these, terrible, uh, these terrible people uh, in, in charge of, of the country. I sit there, and that person who's in charge, who is, who is responsible for those killings, 
I tell that person my story. Here's what happened. Here's what happened to my wife. Here's what happened to my children. You did that. And, um, and that's my story. And then he tells his. This is where I was coming from. This is where all that anger came from. This is where all that hate came from. And, um, and I'm absolutely convinced that one of the reasons the bloodbath was uh, averted was that people sat down and looked each other in the eye and told each other their story. Which takes me back to this is how we understand the world. This is how we understand each other. And I think we're, um, uh, we're hardwired to do it. So one of the things we can talk about if we want is what makes some stories better than others. You know, we've all read crappy stories. We've all seen terrible movies and tel- terrible television shows. Maybe we weren't sure why they were bad. But um, maybe that's something worth uh, uh, talking about. But we've also been to movies and read books and things where we just thought that was just an awesome story. So uh, that's all I got. (laughs) It was a great story. I was (laughs) enraptured. I was uh, in another world. I'd say that was an example of a good story. There's a lot of stories actually there. It was mostly stories. Yeah. There's bits and pieces that connected them. Um, Man, bad storytelling is is something I haven't thought a lot about. I've thought a lot about good storytelling. Presenting, like you you mentioned at the beginning, like I think if you really want to convince someone of something or if you want to tell a good story, you tell them about yourself in hopes to connect with them and then you tell them about maybe the group who's already doing it, and then you say, all right, and now this is what we're doing. It's like, story of me, story of us, story of now. But bad stories. I've actually, <laughs> I've had a, a lot of conversations with my dad about this <laughs> yeah. in, in relation to Bad. film. Um, and the, the main thing that we kind of keep coming back to randomly, not necessarily randomly, is what makes Quentin Tarantino a good storyteller, but Brian De Palma a bad storyteller? <laughs> I love this question. That's, a, that's, a, that's actually a great story, uh, a great question. Who's Brian De Palma for those of us who don't know? <laughs> he's, he's another director who, like Quentin Tarantino, quotes a lot of other movies and other uh, media in his movies, and um, a lot of the time has similar, very flamboyant dialogue and characters. Uh, but his movies just don't work for me at all and we've talked about it a lot and again we kind of keep coming back to like why Quentin Tarantino is really good but it's very hard to pinpoint why like neither of us okay, really I've, I've got a theory I've got yeah, a theory sure. see, see, see if this works with your dad in my view um, good storytelling complicates your thinking so Tarantino I think even though so much of what he does is violent. Pulp Fiction just had my head spinning. It, even to a point where I thought, you know, uh, you actually forgot a scene. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> you forgot about the restaurant. You forgot how this movie began. And this is going to end unresolved. And then, of course, we realize this, that all of this has been going on in the restaurant. You know, of course he didn't. And, and so he complicates your thinking. I don't think De Palma complicates your thinking. I think what De Palma does is, is sends you back to your stereotypes. That's a really accurate <laughs> analysis. Right? Yeah, okay, so, so that's why some people just love to read romance novels, because it just reinforces what they are, always think about you know, romance or what m- men should be like, what women should be like, whatever. 
Um, they're fine. I wouldn't call it great storytelling, but it serves a, a purpose. De Palma is a very rich guy for reinforcing stereotypes and not complicating your thinking. But I think anything I've seen of Tarantino, oh my gosh, he, he makes you think differently about something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the nice thing about that comparison, too, is how how many ways they're very similar. Like, they're both super violent, oh, both, yeah. like, quote everything. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, it's that matter of, compli like, complicating your thinking versus reassuring stereotypes, taking the easy way out. Yeah, I, and, you know, far be it from, I've never made millions of dollars, so far <laughs> be it from me to criticize De Palma, but I, he just strikes me as a little bit lazy. <laughs> That. Brian, are you listening? <laughs> call, call me. Uh, here, Defend here's, yourself. Yeah, here's, here's another reason why some good some stories work better than others. You know, connect there's that there's some kind of me too quality in it. You know, you can recognize something of yourself in one of the characters. So I I I love to try to do a compare contrast uh, with the the two. Um, shows based about the White House, House of Cards, and the West Wing. West Wing has, you know, some characters that I think every, at some point everybody can either connect with or root for or whatever. House of Cards, I can't find anybody to root for. There, there's, I can't find one sympathetic character in, in, in that entire show, so I just hate everybody. And I, I don't know, I find that to be an, un, an unsatisfying um, storytelling experience. Whereas with West Wing, I'd say, oh yeah, I can, I can identify, I can connect emotionally or, or somewhat with, with a character in here. It seems like stories need to be complex enough to make us interested and make us believe them, because life is complex. And, and that's why telling your story can be a very moving thing. When, uh, when people sit down together and tell their story, you realize that um, it's a lot more complex than, hey, I hated you and therefore I killed your family or things like that. There's a lot of this intricate web of uh, emotions and ha historical experiences and things that come into that. And, you know, your uh, emotions of being angry about that are really complex as well. And, hey, this person across from me is human. And I realize that because he has he or she has a story and that story is complex like my story is. Yeah. And then it also, um, I think to Hadley Woods, actually, her TEDx talk, mm -hmm. you know, you can take the exact same set of facts and make us five different stories from it. And, and you know, with my, with my foster kids, it, this could be a story of abuse or it could be a story of resiliency. It's the exact same story, exact same facts, but you can kind of turn it two different ways. And so that's the power of a story in, um, in kind of maybe how it makes people think and maybe how it motivates them to do one thing or another. Yeah, so I guess my, my final point would be just thinking about when we, when we hear a story is to maybe take it a step further in our own minds and say, what made that a good story? You know, why, why, did, why did I connect at that level? And, and see if maybe it's for this reason, that most stories carry, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, piece of journalism, um, uh, uh, Tarantino movie, um, is that usually... Uh, the stories have what I call an, uh, a lowercase t truth and an uppercase t truth. So you've got a lowercase t truth. It, it, this is a truth. This, this happened. These events happened. But the bigger story, the capital T 
truth is, okay, what else is this about? So is it about redemption? Is it about reconciliation? Is it about hope? Or is it about, wow, my, my life is just, you know, horrible. It, it, you know, it, it could be either one of those. But so I always try to get students when they think about story to think about what else is the story about? Not just the events of, of what got told here, but what else? Is, is it about mercy? Is it about overcoming, you know, why, did, why does that uh, the movie un, or the, the book Unbroken, why does that still have traction? Because it's a story about so much more than this World War II uh, prisoner, you know, who was tortured by the Japanese who, you know, overcame it. It's, it's so much more than that. I, I'm aware that we're well into our time, but I have a brief follow-up question, if you'll allow me. <laughs> Permitted. Okay. Um, this kind of ties back into your, your topic, Axel. Um, and it's just a question. What do you guys think the state of storytelling is now in this in a cult the culture of social media and quick <clears throat> information and stuff like that? Uh, to me, it kind of seems like an issue of quantity over quality. Everybody has a chance to tell their story in what 140 characters on Twitter, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that goes on all the time, constantly, and there's so much of it. Um, but I, I don't know. It, does that hurt storytelling, or does it help it? Or I don't know. What do you guys think? I I do think you're you're making a, a huge. Um, uh, it, it, it's really important to make this huge distinction between what's just information and what's storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, so what you had for breakfast, I had pancakes for breakfast. Um, (laughs) It's not a story. But if you made pancakes for your kids, and this is what happened, you know, in that you guys having pancakes together, that that might be a story, and that may move me, right? But the fact that you had pancakes for breakfast doesn't move me. That's information, right? So we're flooded with information. the role of journalism, if I may shoehorn that in here, is I don't know that there's ever been a more important time for good journalism than now. Everybody says journalism is dead. I'm saying, no, no, no. Actually, journalism is more important than ever because what is it? It's verified information. And how much of the crap that's out there is actually verified information? Very little. So having some kind of information that's, uh, that's verified and put in story form Oh my gosh, I'd say it's more important now than it's ever been. Do you think it's uh, lacking now compared to where it used to be? Like the, the thing that comes to mind is like, well, there's journalism and then there's like clickbait journalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and it seems like there's a lot more clickbait journalism than... No question about that. that. No question about that. And, and I'm, as the word journalism gets redefined, the clickbait stuff is probably going to be part of the definition, but right now, I, I don't know, I, it's hard to think about BuzzFeed as journalism. You know, it's, um, are, they, are, are there characters involved? Are, is there something at stake? Does somebody want something? Or are we just looking at, you know, celebrity photos of when these pe- famous people now were ugly children? You know, is that, I don't know, is that journalism 
I think part of the worry becomes if the um, if the actual story behind it becomes lost for the sake of the quick information. Right. Um, you know, with Twitter or whatever else, it becomes really easy to just put information out there, and then not only do you lose the context behind that, which can get a lot of people in trouble because you know you can read something completely differently if you don't have the story behind it, but it also can allow people to forget the story of their own lives and, and kind of almost become detached from what they put out there. And so people can say really nasty, mean things because they're detached from that because it's not part of their story. It's just uh, 140 characters and things like that. And so if you remove yourself and what you're saying from your own story too, that's where a lot of things becomes dangerous because then you're losing your own humanity and you're forgetting that the people reading it also have a humanity and the stories get lost. And, that, and that's where I think the the concern comes from. And I don't have any problem with this technology. I don't want it to sound like that, you know, crackety old, uh, crackety, is that, what, what's crackety, that's what I'm going to do. Crackety old Which professor not, who doesn't like technology. But, um, but these are the types of things and uh, you lose the story behind it and you lose the humanity and suddenly people are angry at each other and killing each other instead of sitting across the table. Dean is the director of the journalism program at Point Loma Nazarene University and the host of the Writers' Symposium by the Sea. When we asked him why he thought of this topic, he said that it's the most important and crucial thing he thinks about during his day, besides hockey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thought Lounge podcast. To get weekly updates of this podcast, search Thought Lounge on iTunes and click subscribe. Till next time, good thinking always.